the missing link here between wanting to listen and actually listening is some sort of method that keeps us on track and make us work smart and not do the things that do not work because other people have tested it and then have some reminders about how to keep on listening. Hello, everyone. It's Raquel Ark. It's time to work smarter and feel better together. Welcome back to Your Listening Superpower Podcast, where we explore listening as a superpower that transforms communication into connection, both at work and at home. Listen in on inspiring conversations with authors, scientists, and leaders that will open your mind about what is possible and give you communication tools for your leadership toolbox that you can use right away. Let's have fun discovering and growing our listening superpower together. Imagine having a shortcut to listen better over time. My guest journalist, Nana Holst, has developed a method that is changing the way editorial teams work and think by more active and systemic listening. Nana is a fellow from Constructive Institute at Aarhus University in Denmark. She is the editor for Involvement and Dialogue at TV2 Cosmopol in Copenhagen. She is the project leader for eight TV2 regional public service outlets. And over her profession, she has been in charge of selecting and educating and developing over 100 journalistic interns over the past couple of decades. Nana also facilitates listening as a keynote speaker, and I'm really happy to have her on this episode. She shares examples of how media organizations and journalists can get better at listening so that they can become more relevant. There's a lot that we can learn from her experience on how to create a more systemic listening culture. Enjoy listening in. Welcome to the Listening Superpower podcast, Nana. It's a pleasure to have you with me today. Thank you for having me, Raquel. It's a great uh, delight and honor for my part. I would love to know, when did you first notice the power of listening, whether it worked or it didn't? Well, I guess when I was a kid, I was forced to train my listening skills at a very early age because I'm the little sister in a very talkative family. So right from the start, I had to listen very carefully to know where can I dive into the conversation and get heard. And that is probably the most typical way of listening, like waiting for your turn to say something. So it's not very honorable, but it was necessary <laughs> if I wanted to be a part of the conversation. So I guess and that the first time when I sort of discovered the beauty of listening to other people for their sake was when I was a, a tourist guide in Mallorca. When I was 19, the summer I got turned 20. And that was a very strong service culture. The customer was a big thing. And we knew that from morning to the next morning. And uh, my speciality at that time, that was remembering the guest names. And I didn't know at that time that it was a superpower but I did get the hang of what it meant to them that I had been paying attention. There were a lot of tourists, hundreds this summer, and still I knew that this was this person from Sweden and that person from Denmark, and it made a difference. And 
maybe I think that was the first awareness of the, the value of paying attention. I mean, that's a beautiful story. And both of those examples, we can really even pull into what happens today in the business world. And I was just starting with your last story, remembering their names. I mean, that's beautiful because how often do people forget our names? I'm not yeah. always that great at it too. <laughs> right after hearing, hearing that, yeah. fine, right? <laughs> um, but that does do something. It validates us. We feel seen and that makes a difference, right? Yeah. And then going back to your, when you were a child and your family of talkers and listening as a waiting to find, we're listening to our turn to jump in. Yeah. I mean, doesn't that happen in meetings today? Every day. Every, every day. day. Yeah. Every yeah. day. I can still catch myself doing that in a conversation because I get so inspired about what is said when we're talking. I do want to chip into the conversation and sometimes... Thankfully, I, I sort of check myself and say, well, why is it important what you have to say? I mean, just listen. Can't be trained, right? <laughs> right. And so what you're saying right now is your understanding of what you were doing then and your understanding of listening now has changed. What has changed? I think like you, when you train for something for 10,000 hours, you sort of get better at it. And I've been a journalist for 30 years now, almost. And we do a lot of listening. Somebody said, I think in your podcast, that even though we have a bad day, journalists don't stop asking questions and listening for an answer. And that's true. But I think 10 years ago, I started listening in another way. And I can't tell you why, but it sort of just interests me more to understand things more thoroughly, people, problems, solutions, whatever. So I had this chance in my work life to sort of be able to listen in another and more profound way in longer periods than listening for an answer for a news interview. Did he say that? Okay, check, check, check in, check out, fine. So I think it's just shifted with the years. So what you just described to me almost sounds like, and you can see what you feel after you hear this, how it resonates, that you were listening with a checklist and then you started listening to understand. Exactly. Because when you do television, you have the interview in the telephone and there you really listen to what the person is saying and why they're saying it and, and try to make sense of what they're saying. And then when you go out and do your interview with the microphone, with the camera, it's sort of, I call it performance interviews. You only listen to, did I put the question so that I got the answer that I was told on the telephone? And that I clip in and clip out. So that's a different sort of listening than the first one in the telephone. So you've been a journalist for many years, and you said that about 10 years ago, then you noticed something started to change. Yeah. And even now, you have a program, what would you call it, a concept program um, that's called Better Listening. And it's yeah. shifting the mindset for journalists when it comes to listening. I'd like to hear more about that. Yeah. yeah I live in the capital area of uh, Copenhagen, which is the capital of Denmark. And my uh, media outlet is public service, a media house. So we have television and we have articles and social media. It's a whole because we meet different people at different channels. So in the start of 2021, we said to ourselves, we want to listen more actively and systematically. And we didn't know how we would do it. So I was put in charge to find out what would be a great way for us to listen. 
with the means that we have, we are not event makers. All the money that we get, we put into journalism. So we had to do something with our journalism and our ability to listen. And first, I sort of looked into what are the people that we serve in this area? Why are we here? What are people like? And really, it's a mess in a capital area because you get all sorts and you have most of everything, most culture and genders and traffic and visits from the outside and in a capital. And then at the same time, we have a lot of rural areas and coastal areas where people live other lives or uh, old cities. And so we had to find out why are we here? And when we did the analysis, we found out that what is really keeping us together in this very diverse area is that we all love to be close to Copenhagen, which has been called the best city of the world many times by Monocle and the likes. So that is what binds us together. And and also we realized that people here, they stand out in the way that when we look at the rest of Denmark, we just call it the province. Not the provinces, but the province, like one blurred thing that we are not very interested in. Uh, we're much more interested in uh, cities in, in Germany, in in. Uh, England, in France, in, in Spain, how do they solve the same sort of metropolitan problems that we have in this area? So with that knowledge, we came to a why for listening that would try to create some more unity in this area, for feeling something together, having sharing something. And we wanted to have more diverse voices, not just the people that you meet uh, on the social media, on your inbox, but I call them the silent majority. And we wanted to find out what questions are they really asking themselves because journalists are different from most people. I mean, it's not sure. It's probably the questions that we ask ourselves are not the same that everybody else are asking themselves. So we wanted to incorporate that into our journalism and our everyday journalism and take it as seriously as the rest of what we're doing. And then we wanted to get people together around something with meaning and not what they mean, because there's so many other outlets for what you mean, but we would like to make something meaningful together. And all that came into the invite that we have, have is, that is called Ask Us. So we invite people in all our articles and when we have television stories to post their own questions. What are you wondering about that we can look at in a journalistic way? What answers are you missing that we can find out for you and with you? And then we invite people to vote for, we put three questions up every week and say, what do you think is more relevant? And then we go answer the winning question. So that is, in essence, ask us. And then you ask for the better listening. And that is really a method that I had the chance to develop last year when I went to the Constructive Institute in Denmark at a fellowship for 10 months. And I could take all my experience with Askers and everything I had learned into the fellowship. And then I could see what do we know about listening and keep on listening in the newsroom, especially for old legacy media like mine that were created another time. So I'm just thinking a lot because what you just shared was, it's really an incredible story, actually. And I know that it sounds like now the, the story, it's like there's a different chapter, but it's all connected. 
And I'm just going to circle back to a little bit about what you shared in terms of how you got to better listening. And then we can, in a little bit, we can dive deeper into better listening. From your analysis, you said that you then were able to come up with the why of listening. Yeah, of, of this organization. Of this organization, yeah. right? Why are we listening? Yes. And I think that's really interesting. And so you say that the why of listening was unity. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And taking people serious and acknowledging that when we sit together, journalists with journalists, we probably get certain sort of stories that we find are important, but not necessarily important to the people that we serve. So it was yeah. a great curiosity towards what are they talking about? What are they wondering about? Will you share that with us? Mm. And this is beautiful how that was translated into this concrete project of Ask Us, where you're really tapping into, let's say, this word of collective intelligence, but it's also collective questioning, <laughs> you know, collective curiosity, I guess, and then helping the collective, you know, find out what's keeping them busy, what's on their minds, what's relevant to you now, and then having them actively participate in where you do your work. Yes, and you had a good point with the collective knowledge because it starts with the questions. But when we publish an answer, people chip in with their knowledge saying, well, you say this, but what about that then? Because I know that, that sort of thing. So mm. it's not just uh, their wonderings, it's their expertise also. And, and if they don't think that we gave a good answer, they will come back and say, well, I know this, so why not? Or... It's very interesting because we don't know all this because we don't do the same things as everybody. I mean, we are 2.1 million people in the capital area. So there's a lot of doing out there that we don't know about if they don't tell us. And they do tell us. They do want to be part of it if we invite them. Can you give me an example or of maybe one time where you or the journal, you know, I'm not sure how you do it, your team answered the question and then the response from the listeners opened up a whole new world or a new perspective that you didn't have before. Yeah. I think a very good example is that in Denmark, you travel with a plastic travel card and then you can buy some tickets or some apps. But I mean, the travel card is the way to travel. And one young guy, Jason, asked asked us, why do I have to take a plastic card? It's not even sustainable with me when I go out in the nightlife. Everything else is on my phone. And we looked into it. Why is the travel card, why isn't it an app? And they say, well, it's because the politicians of Denmark, they have so many rules about what should be in an app that is nationwide. But they did like to make an app and they said, we are working on one. So Jason said, well, that's okay. I understand now there are many nuances. It's not so easy as I thought. I'll wait, but I hope you uh, do that app. Then we have another one asking, well, when, while we're waiting for the app, why can't we just travel with our visa card? Because he travels in London and Malmö, Sweden with that. What is keeping us from doing that, which is easier than a plastic card? Then we go to Malmö, Sweden and see how it works. We look at how it works in London and we find out that, well, there are barriers. You can use it in the bus. You can use it in the tube where you have barriers. It won't work in a free system like we have in Denmark. So we talk with the travel card again about these things and they say, but you told me last time that, you asked last time for a nap and 
actually, we are testing a new app in three months' time in northern Jutland. And uh, then we said, great. And we posted that article. And then we had other guy who asked, well, why are they testing a new app? Because he was traveling in Frankfurt and in, in uh, Switzerland. And he said, it works beautifully. Why don't they just use that? So we, we looked at that app and then we got back to the Reisecard. Right, the travel card and said, well, why don't you use this app? Well, actually, it was the app they were testing, you know. <laughs> so this story can just go on and on and on until we have a well-functioning app. Yeah, that's and, and they were a part of that process, too. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's also a mixture of asking really good questions and also um, for the listeners to understand the context and you realize how much is happening behind the scenes, but nobody knows it. So it could be partly giving new impulses of new ideas, but it also could be just explaining why decisions were made or um, to actually let people know, oh, that's what we are doing and we're already doing that. And uh, so everything's okay. Oh, okay. Now I know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because there's a lot of, there's a huge need to understand out there. There's a lot of things we just don't understand and they just don't make any sense. Yeah. And actually, it's very hard for authorities when we when we bring these questions to them and say, well, why is it like this? And they will say, but the rules are, yes, we can see that. But why the rules like that? Because they don't make sense out here. Right. And they just can't answer them because nobody has thought about the why. It's just like God-given rules came with Moses sometime. Well, they didn't probably, right? Somebody mm -hmm. thought about them <laughs> at one mm -hmm. point. Yeah. Yeah. It, actually, if you think about it, even from the people who are producing the card or the politicians, I mean, to receive these questions and know that they're coming from the community and this is what's exactly. on their mind is actually very good for them to be informed I mean, if they're really listening. <laughs> so they know how to respond in yes. a way that connects. And you, you talk about something very important, like the mandate that we get, because if we ask inconvenient questions, it's very difficult not to answer for those in power because Somebody has asked, thousands of people have voted, and now it's on our homepage that we are looking into this question. They are waiting for an answer. So the mandate for the journalists is great when we work together with the people that we serve. Hmm. What would you suggest, what's your experience also from the other side, not only from the listeners, and you're asking these tough questions, but what would be, in terms of responses that you've come from the other side that have served the collective, even if they don't know the answers 100%, <laughs> Have you had experience on, you know, how that can work together? It works fine because nobody expects us to get everything right in every detail in the way that we are very transparent when we write the answers or haunt them on television. They can see what we do. Then we went here. Then we did this, that. So they understand the effort that we are doing. And at one point, if we can't get a perfect answer, we say, well, this is as far as we get, but do anybody out there know anything? Do you know any, the solution or what do you do in this situation? And then we invite people to come with their experiences and, and stories and, and then we can make another article or put more in the first article. It's very nice. Yeah, yeah beautiful. And so now let's, let's move to the better listening because then you had this experience which opened up probably the perspective even, you know, for the journalists who are working there, it really opened up your minds. You had this 10 months to be able to think about this <laughs> and to put some thought, because we don't always have that time to think, okay, what worked? What happened? Yeah. What is this showing me? And where can we take this? And this brought you to the method of better listening. Please share with our audience, first of all, the why behind better listening now. 
And then what is the method? Yeah, the why came out of the curiosity at the fellowship about what had been studied and found out already, because I was just a hardworking journalist and with no time to know what is going on in the world. So first I had to spend a lot of time to find out what do we already know about this and what do we not know. And what I found out was that there's a great amount of great listeners in news organizations, especially abroad, but also in Denmark. But what stuck out was that they were doing really good and then they stopped. So I thought the missing link here between wanting to listen and actually listening is some sort of method that keeps us on track and make us work smart and not do the things that do not work because other people have tested it and then have some reminders about how to keep on listening if we want to listen more actively and systematically. And a lot of people do want that, actually. Uh, there's been a very big shift in the mindset. But there's a lot of competition from what we're already doing and what we have brought up with. So in its essence, the better listening method is trying to make a shortcut to a more listening mindset in the newsroom. I'm not saying that all journalism should revolve around uh, listening to the questions that our audiences ask themselves. But I think there is a lot of space for a lot of listening there and still doing all the, the normal stuff that the news organization like to do. So in the end, I boiled it down to four, four points that I think will help us, that will help us because I have tested it. And the first one is listen first. And that is a gathering of practical tools that will help the, the newsroom listen better and listen longer and involving their audiences from the start to the end of uh, every project they make listening. And the next one is about uh, showing everyday humility. And that is a support to uh, keeping focus on the audience. And you should think it's really weird that we don't do that. I can dig into that later, but I can just see that is not the case. The third one is trust in the population because the way we think about the people, our audiences, has a saying in how we approach them. And the last one is listen up and it's about hearing what people are saying and using it for constant learning. Beautiful. So listen first, which are tools yeah. to help in the process of listening in that moment. Yeah. Everyday humility, which is really being interested in the audience and the people in front of you. The trust in the population is some of this collective intelligence, curiosity, understanding that we spoke about from the last example. And then the listen up is that we're learning. Even if someone is negative or complaining, that there is something in there that we can learn and move with and do something with. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking back about the beginning of our conversation where you were talking about, you know, there was a difference that shifted in your journalism from checklist into really listening a little bit deeper. And here from this method, I can see it's not only deeper, it's broader, it's wider, it's, you know, there's more layers. What supports shifting from that checklist to really being a better listener? Yeah, I would say that the first tool is maybe not a traditional tool, but the first thing I would say was the why that I was talking about in the beginning. 
that you have to find out why are you listening? What do you want to get out of it? And what are your resources? What has to change, if anything? So the why is really important to start out with because you can listen in a thousand ways. It's like a car that has movable parts. You can just adjust them in many different ways. But the why is important because you know how you want to adjust your car <laughs> and go by because it's so, it's, it's so different from are you live media, are you digital, do you do events, whatever. You can listen in so many ways. So the next thing, and that was the maybe not so tool-like, but it's still you have to know that the top management wants to listen because if they just say it and maybe have a hunch that they want it, but get distracted by a lot of other things they also want, then it dies very quickly. In every organization I've seen who are good listeners, the top leaders want this and they want it every day and every week. <laughs> so that's very important. I think, or else you just listen for a little time, that can be fine, but the method is for prolonged listening. So can you describe to me maybe how this is in practice and maybe through an example? Yes, I can, because um, I can take it from my own world. Like, my leaders are very keen on us listening. But when I was away at the fellowship, we changed our name. We were called one thing, and now we're called another thing. And that is a long story, but it was a way to sound like what we are and not sound like something we are not anymore, that people thought we're an old, old institution, we're probably old-fashioned, and we're not. So... So in that time, of course, their focus shifted to this new TV2 Cosmopol and making it right. And in that time, Askers didn't get the attention that it got before. And I can see the results. So hmm. it's very, it's one-to-one -one almost. How much attention do we, do we give it? How much do people want to play with us? And how much do we produce? Okay, so so if we have, from that learning and from what you're noticing with the listening, you know, because we have all, actually quite a few leaders that listen to this podcast, what's important for them to know to support their organization with sustained listening? What are you talking about? I mean, what do you think is value? When you hire people, do you ask them about listening? Do we, are you interested in them being good listeners? When you talk about what we do well in the organization, has that anything to do with listening? Even in my organization, we don't do it, but in a lot of organizations, you can reward people. Maybe you should reward listening. So, and, and they can maybe say, we want to have a certain amount of output in news organization like mine. So what can you do different newsrooms? How much can you commit to this? And then you have to stick with it, that sort of thing. And then they should also make room for someone like me. So a facilitator that will... Think of this morning, midday, evening, night. It's just in my heart. And if you don't have a person who is deeply interested in every detail and everything about this concept that you're doing, it will again wither away because the attention won't be there and slack will come in and habit will take over and we're mm -hmm. doing what we did before. So that is a resource that I deeply recommend that they prioritize. You know, one of the things that I, part of why I ended up doing like this podcast or working more in the listening areas quite a few years ago is that 
I mean, I knew it was powerful. I knew it had impact. I saw this, but I didn't really talk about it. Like, and uh, listening can be very, it's very quiet, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it doesn't have a loud voice. And so if you look back at times where, where, where there's success or things really worked out often or in teams that work well, often listening is there, but it doesn't get the attention. We don't notice it or we don't reflect on that afterwards or we forget quickly that that was actually the driving force behind what just happened. And so this is something I, I ask myself a lot, you know, how do we bring in the voice of listening into these different processes and interactions also not as only in the as an individual but in the system right in the structures and because it's so easy to not see or to because we don't hear it as strongly you know exactly exactly yeah. there are so many other louder voices oh, like yes. newsrooms you have a lot of professional communicators they are really good at it so they make a lot of noise but are they the people that we're put in the world for if you're a public service media outlet not really yeah. right yeah, yeah. So another aspect of that is um, tool-wise is making it as easy as possible for people out there to be part of it, to engage, and for the newsroom to deal with the incoming questions and mm. the incoming knowledge. And it's as simple as thing as like Ask Us. You can find it in the website browser. I mean, you, you see it right when you get into the, the homepage. I was looking everywhere when we started Ask Us, uh, what are the good listeners doing? I got names, I got organizations, I couldn't find it unless I did have a specific browser. Um, so that amazed me that a lot of good media uh, hide their possibility to engage. Like in uh, Bay Curious, that is the KQED media in San Francisco, it's a wonderful podcast about of people's curiosity about the Bay Area. But you need to know it's a podcast and then you get down to it and see Bay Curious and then you can engage. Maybe I didn't know it was a podcast. So being very visual is one thing. And we Mm -hmm. felt uh, we could see that our engagement grew when we found a way to put a question formula and a ballot in each and every article automatically because it was just accessible. So when you have read an article... Well, you could see, well, did it inspire me to ask a new question or did it inspire me to just vote for the, the week's uh, three questions that were for ballot? Yeah, that's great. I would love to do that for this podcast. I got to think about yeah, that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I was just thinking, even like finding out who do we talk to, yeah. what questions do you want to ask, what makes you curious? Yeah, I think that's it's beautiful. True because you really ask that every time, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> and you recommend recommendations, yes, true. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. And the third thing maybe I want to say about the uh-huh. tools, that is uh, keep it simple. Like we don't have to develop a huge system that works perfectly from the first day. You can just go by with the, I call it bird in hand principle. Like you have one bird in the hand, maybe 10 will land on your roof, but you don't have to wait for that. Just start with the resources that you have and see what happens. You can always mm-hmm. change it and make it work better. But don't be afraid. Just do something and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Just do it. Yeah. That's great. So let's go back to you now. Now that you've been, you spent those 10 months yes. <laughs> working on this and this came out, how have you changed as a person? I think that I, like being a journalist in a news organization for this many years, I have known a little about a lot. Because every day is new and you don't know what you're covering and you found out and you come home a little clever about something. But 
for me, it has been amazing to be around academia, be around people from all over the world, from all sorts of trades. We have been spending time together. I have sucked up like, uh, you know, what do you call it? Um, a yeah. sponge? Exactly, a sponge. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been so amazing, like connecting the dots with everyone. And you didn't know when they started out, maybe they would be relevant. Like we got on study tours also to Stanford and we met at the, uh, Justin Farrell at the design school, the mm. D school. And he's not a journalist, but when the fellowship asked him, well, what would you say to media like ours? What should we do to be relevant in the future? And he said, well, focus on the people you serve. It's not longer than that. And and I just love that people f- said so wise things that even though, you know, it was not, nothing about the news business, but it was just, just focus on the people you serve. How difficult can it be? And then we had courses with the young students at the university. And again, you gathered so much knowledge that you could use for your own study. And you didn't know when you set out what would become relevant. But it amazed me, looking back at the course, how much could work with this method that I didn't know was becoming Mm. a method before in the spring, (laughs) because that was made sense. And I could use all this I had picked up. It was really amazing. So how has it changed me? I think going from this person, knowing a lot about very little, no, sorry, a little about a lot. I have become a person who knows a lot about a little thing, like mm. listening in organization and keep on listening and keep on focusing on the people you serve. It feels amazing. <laughs> it is focusing on this little thing, but actually this little thing, it keeps getting bigger, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> I'm learning every day. Yeah. Oh, and then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, wait a second, <laughs> slow down. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah. Let me grasp this first. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, and when, when I shared, like I share with you, I often get so many interesting comments. Like when I talked about, have you ever thought about the, the difference between hearing and listening? And I read this amazing book, The Connectors, that sort of defined it. And after I said, well, hearing is like, is something we either can or can't, but listening is a skill. It's something that could be trained and, and we can learn it. And then a woman said to me, now I know why I hate it when somebody says to me, I hear what you're saying, but (laughs) because we're just hearing, they were not listening. And it pissed her off and now she knew why. And all these stories, I mean, just grows on me. Okay, Nana, what is your, (laughs) what is your dream? What's your vision? What would you love to experience with better listening in the next, let's say, five years? I would love that legacy media, like my own, sort of realize that, yes, we're listening a lot to a lot of people and a lot of noise every day. But if we want to stay relevant in a world where everybody can be their own media, we have to know what is expected of us and what we can, uh, by, by our audience and what we can help them with to make everybody wiser and everybody happier and have this unity. I would really love that more old media just said, well, of course, we have to do this because I think it's important to have, sorry, real media, but but media that actually seeks the best obtainable version of the truth and the fact check and they're not biased, you know, as little biased as possible as we human beings can be. So I would really love that. And I would love to, not only in my own country, but in 
every country because we can see the new media that are coming up. I mean, they would never forget the audience. They're built on audiences for a purpose. They can't forget the members. They can't forget the people in the local area because without them, there is no media. So why is it that old media has its difficulties? We're not doing what we have always done and notice that people don't want that anymore. When I was a kid, everybody had the same media. It was the same news uh, we saw in the evening. It was the same few newspapers. I mean, it was so quiet <laughs> compared to what it was, is now. So I would really like that. So, Nana, what helps you to stay in tune with listening so that your listening can be sustained? Well, I'm so fortunate that I am the editor for Involvement and Dialogue at the TV2 Cosmopol. So this is my work. This is what I do for a living. So that makes it easy every day to go to work and listen. But still, I like to have markers everywhere that reminds me of this shoot. Why? Because it's not only in my professional life. And when I go home, I forget it. I really think it's interesting in all traits of life. So like on my uh, mobile screen, I have a quote from my own home site. Say, let's talk more about how media can show more trust in the population by listening and involving. And at my computer screen, that is a picture from Santa Maria, an island in the Cap Verde Islands out of Africa. And that's the situation where Two women who have just been selling fish, they have shot the shop, which is just on, you know, on the waterfront. And I took the picture just because I thought it was beautiful. But really, it's a great illustration of how difficult it is to listen because you have one young woman talking and she is, has gestures with her hands. And then we have this little, a bit older woman sitting with her arms crossed and looking down and she's really restraining herself from exploding from what she has to listen to. And still, she listens. And I think it's so inspiring to look at and say, well, if it doesn't work for me every day, if the organization doesn't deliver the way I want or something went wrong, it's okay because it is difficult to listen for everybody. Beautiful. So thank you so much for being on the Listening Superpower podcast, Nana. This was really a pleasure. And just so that our listeners know, asking this interview from Nana came from our listeners. I had someone send me a message say, hey, do you know, have you heard of Better Listening in this person, Nana Holst? And I'm like, no, I didn't know. And I reached out and now we're having this conversation. So I love that's also listening from, you know, the listeners. Please let us know when you have wonderful people like Nana. Um, Nana, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they find you? I have a homepage. It's called nanaholst.dk because it's in Denmark. And I'm on LinkedIn. And uh, that should be the easy ways to get in touch. And I would love that. And thank you for that nice story. I was so surprised and honored that somebody had referred me to you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> somebody abroad. Yeah, it's amazing. And thank you for taking me in this uh, podcast. I really enjoyed talking to you. And I will keep listening to all your interesting guests. Wonderful. Thank you, Nana. Thank you. You have just enjoyed your listening superpower podcast, where we dive into how to work smarter and feel better at work and at home. This is an independent show, so please show your support by subscribing, leaving a five-star review, and telling your friends. 
Also, if you or somebody you know has experienced listening superpowers being put into practice, email me at listeningsuperpower at gmail.com or send a voicemail at plus four nine one seven three two three four zero seven two two. If you want your team to grow their listening superpowers, you can find more information at listeningalchemy.com. I'm your host, Raquel Ark. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Cecilia Mercado, for your amazing podcast production, Dorta Streicher for your impactful artwork, and Evo Tiemann for your inspiring music. It's been fun, and see you guys on the next episode.